Welcome to day 49 of the story that changes everything. Our readings for today are Numbers chapters 25 through 27 and Psalm 20. Here's some thoughts to guide your reading for today. While I was pastoring in Southern California, we had the privilege of having several Armenian families in the congregation. A little over a century ago, there was an attempted genocide of the Armenian people by the Turks. And at that time, there was this huge wave of Armenian refugees who fled for safety to the U.S., many of them taking up residence in California. They're an amazing people uh, with rich traditions, delicious food. Of the many ethnic groups that make up the population around Los Angeles, Armenians marry within their own ethnicity at a higher rate than any of the other people groups or ethnic communities represented in Southern California. It was so fascinating to get to know many of their stories and to understand their deep cultural challenge. Because on the one hand, they wanted their children to fit in with the larger culture of America. They wanted their children to succeed. They wanted to be good neighbors to everyone around them. They didn't want to live isolated from other groups of people, other ethnicities around them. But on the other hand, they seemed to realize that if their children, their grandchildren, and even now their great-grandchildren did not learn how to speak the Armenian language and cook the Armenian way, and if they all married non-Armenians, their unique culture would be at risk. As one Armenian friend expressed it to me, if we aren't careful in preserving our ways, what the Turks failed to do quickly through power, America will do slowly through assimilation. I tell this story for two reasons. First, as we will encounter later in some of the Old Testament books, there's this big difference between the two primary empires that shape Israel's imagination, Egypt and Babylon. We've already encountered Egypt, and Egypt in the biblical imagination is always remembered by the people as a place of oppression. We'll eventually encounter Babylon, and Babylon will be less oppressive and more alluring. When you live in Egypt, you fear that Pharaoh will throw your children into the Nile. When you live in Babylon, you fear that one day you'll wake up and your children will no longer identify as the unique people of God living in a strange place, but they will just simply have become Babylonian. The second reason for telling the story is because I think it illustrates the problem the Israelites get into at the beginning of chapter 25. When we left the narrative in chapter 24, Balaam and King Balak of Moab are trying to curse the people so they could defeat them in battle. Only God kept pulling a fast one on Balaam and had blessings rather than curses flow from his mouth. Meanwhile, what King Balak failed to do through spiritual or military power is happening anyway down in the valley through enticement and assimilation. The Israelite men are marrying Moabite women and have begun to worship their gods. So although Balaam is not mentioned in this chapter later in chapter 31 and also in the New Testament, this whole scheme of assimilation will actually be credited to him. Phineas, Aaron's grandson, responds with zeal and is unafraid to purge this sin in pretty violent ways from the community. Phineas will be viewed heroically for this action among many of the Israelites, and his zeal actually will be a pattern for several future messianic figures, and in particular for the zealots, including the early apostle Paul. The second census in the book is taken in chapter 26. If the purpose of the first census in the book of Numbers, again, a book name for these two countings, if the first census was to identify and organize the generation leaving Egypt and entering the wilderness, the purpose of the second census 
is to name and organize the new generation who will enter the promised land. Apart from a few interesting lines that rehearse some of the events narrated earlier in the book, the important part of this narrative is that the number that's leaving the wilderness is almost exactly the same number as those who entered it. Despite all the unfaithfulness and all the various judgments and plagues, God has sustained a people ready to receive the promise. And perhaps this new generation will also be a bit progressive. Chapter 27 opens with the daughters of Zelophehad from the tribe of Manasseh, requesting that they receive the allotment of land in Canaan that would have gone to their father. Because he died without a male heir, a son, the typical patrilineal practices would grant that his portion of land go to a brother or another close male relative. Yet these five women argue persuasively that they should receive it. And God agrees. And Moses agrees. And the people agree. Perhaps this new generation will keep moving the trajectory of justice and fairness forward. It's almost time for Moses to exit the narrative. Even though he does not get to enter the promised land, he gets to see it from the mountain. It is time to commission Joshua to take the reins of leadership. The two unique aspects of this transition are that the request is initiated by Moses and not by God, and Moses wants Joshua to lead with the same power that God had given to Moses. As great a leader as Moses has been for the people, even in the end, there's a humility in the fact that his first concern is for the welfare of the people. He does not want them to be sheep without a shepherd. One can almost imagine the aging Moses praying prayers similar to those in today's psalm, Psalm 20, which opens this way. I pray that the Lord answers you whenever you are in trouble. One of my favorite affirmations of faith comes from this psalm. It's in verse 7. Some people trust in chariots, others in horses, but we praise the Lord's name. These are powerful narratives today, especially for those of us who have a strong desire to see the next generation live into the unique identity of the faith and lead God's people in patterns of goodness, justice, and hope. So read the text for today carefully, listen to what the Spirit might say to you through them, journal your thoughts, prayers, and questions, and consider how you are handing the faith that was handed to you on to those who will come after you. Our text for tomorrow, our numbers chapters 28 through 30. I'll talk to you tomorrow.